0: over the christmas season a well-known film called the italian job was on tv and the film literally ends on a cliffhanger and then there's also another film called back to the future part two and that also ends with a cliffhanger and a cliffhanger makes us wonder what will happen next something has happened in the film which brings us curiosity to what will happen next. Films and books sometimes do this, so that we will buy the next book or watch the next film. In Esther chapter four, we ended on a cliffhanger. We saw Esther chapter four that the Jews had heard about the death sentence they had received. Haman, the enemy of the Jews, had the king write in law that all the Jews would be destroyed. And this law that was written was set in stone, never to be overturned. This law that was made by the king for Haman couldn't be stopped while Haman was living. While Haman was living, the king had to bring this law about. Because of this law, the Jews were fasting and seeking the Lord so that he would turn away this calamity from them. We had Mordecai telling Esther to go to the king to plead with him for her people. And Esther, firstly, she didn't think this would work. But then Mordecai persuaded her she wouldn't escape and that God has brought her to the throne for this time. At the end of chapter 4, Esther committed to going to the king and pleading for her people. And we also saw that there was a law that said no one could go to the king Unless he calls you. And if people went to the king uninvited, they were often taken away and killed. But sometimes the king would accept the person and extend a golden scepter to them. So, what will happen to Esther? Will the king allow her to come into his presence or will Esther be struck down? Let's see what happens as we read Esther chapter 5 to 7. So in the church Bible, that's page number 504. And the larger print, that's page number 777. So Esther chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, "'What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? "'Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you.' "'If it pleases the king,' replied Esther, "'let the king together with Haman come to today to a banquet I have prepared for him. "'Bring Haman at once,' the king said, "'so that we may do what Esther asks.' "'So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared.' As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now, what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, Let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honoured him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But... All this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it then go to the king go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes, "'What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this?' the king asked. "'Nothing has been done for him,' his attendants answered. "'The king said, "'Who is in the court?' "'Now Haman just entered the outer court of the palace "'to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. "'His attendants answered, "'Haman is standing in the court.' Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, Have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, And a horse the king has ridden, One with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe. And the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what he's done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his, with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, "'Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, "'is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. "'You will surely come to ruin.'" While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet he had prepared. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king." King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, An adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in rage, left his wine and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, They covered Haman's face. Then Harbonah, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then, The king's fury subsided. This is God's word. We start off with point number one, Esther's request, from chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. In chapters 5, verses 1 to 8, Esther's request. Sometimes in football matches, one team goes ahead and scores two or three goals and it looks like to everyone that that team will win. But then what occasionally happens is the other team comes out fighting and they come back into the game and end up winning. And the game is usually, and the game is turned on its head. A reversal happens. In tonight's passage, we get some major reversals. The first one we see is here in verses in chapter five, verses one to eight, as we read, we saw Esther go into the king and receive in favour. The king extends this golden sceptre to Esther, and we see the first part of this plan. It goes swimmingly. Esther isn't killed; she receives favour. Then the king says, "What is your petition? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, I will give you." This isn't the king literally offering Esther half the kingdom. What he's saying is, I'm in a good mood, try me. And as she receives favor from the king, she doesn't go straight into, can you save my people? But instead she asks, Esther, she asks the king and Haman to come to a banquet. And then we see that they come to this banquet and they enjoy it. But the king again, he asks Esther, what is your petition? But Esther delays again, and we don't know why she delays, but she does. We read, Esther wants the king and Haman to come to another banquet. And the big reversal is there. Esther starts calling the shots. She goes from being the one called into the palace and ordered around, and Esther, she had no control. She followed all the instructions of the king. Yet now the king and Haman, they're doing what Esther wants. Esther is making the decisions for those who rule the world. A great reversal has started. Esther is ordering the king and Haman. We see here that Esther is brave because the king asked her twice now, what is your request? But both times she's invited him, invited them to a banquet. We see that the king, he really wants to know why Esther has risked her life. And the king, The King keeps saying yes to Esther, and we see in the next part in haman's in Haman's pride that this delay seems to be a foolish it seems to be a foolish thing at first. We seem that incoming danger in the next point in Haman's pride from verses nine to fourteen of chapter five. It may cost Mordecai his life, so we see after the banquet Haman he goes out and he's And he's in high spirits. He goes out and he feels great about everything. But then he sees Mordecai. And Mordecai still doesn't show Haman honor or have any fear for Haman. And this makes Haman furious. But we see here in verse 10 that Haman restrains himself. He remembers that there's a death sentence on the Jews. I won't have to put up with Mordecai much longer. Soon him and all his people will be gone. And then we see Haman, he goes back to his friends and his family and he boasts about all that he has. Haman talks of his 10 sons, his vast wealth, how the king has elevated him above any other noble. And then Haman boasts about being invited to this banquet. We see here that Haman is full of pride. Haman's number one is Haman. He's the best. And he boasts that everyone near him about himself. But then Haman says, all this doesn't give me satisfaction while I still see Mordecai living. Haman hates Mordecai and he hates the Jews because they live differently to the other people. But why here is Haman attacking just Mordecai? We see in chapter three that Haman chose to attack all the Jews and not just Mordecai. But here he just centers on Mordecai. Haman is angry because he's not getting something he wants. Haman has nearly everyone bowing down to him, but his focus is the one person who doesn't bow down to him. The praise of people is what gets Haman up in the morning. Haman is self-centered and his heart is self-focused. Therefore, when he doesn't get this praise, he's left furious. And we can look at Haman and think, whoa, he's over the top. We'd never be like that. But we can learn a thing or two from from this scene. One writer says, Haman is a case study into what happens when our idols are challenged. Haman had made a public recognition of his idol. And his response was that he felt great about it. But when his idol was challenged, he lashed out in anger. There was a void in Haman's life that no success could fill. I wonder what makes you angry? Obviously, we should be angry over sin and injustice in the world. But what things in your life make you angry when they don't go your way? When things don't go your way, are you tempted to lash out? Because I think this is often a struggle for us all, isn't it? We think we're due something, and when we don't get it, we go mad or start up in a bad mood. Sometimes we hold things too tightly, and when we don't get those things, we go mad. We cannot let them go. We've allowed an idol to take too much of our hearts. What makes us angry when we don't get it? That's often a sign of an idol in our life that needs to bow to the Lordship of Christ. And in the next next passage, we have next part. We have Zeresh, Haman's wife, and we have his friends, and they're just like Haman. They all tell Haman just to set up a pole fifty cubits or seven, seventy-five feet, and they say just have Mordecai impaled on it, just kill Mordecai on it, have him hung from this pole outside your house. And when Haman hears this, He's delighted. And Haman goes and he sets this pole up. This pole is so high, around about 22 meters. And it's just a reflection of Haman's ego. It doesn't need to be that high, but we see Haman going above and beyond to get his way. And then he can come home and see Mordecai hanging there. After After we hear this plan, we start fearing that Esther's delay was a bad idea. Maybe the plan of Esther isn't going to be as good as we we first thought. Haman is going to the king, and if the king was happy for Haman to kill all the Jews, then the king most likely would be happy for Haman to kill one man. This plan of Haman is totally unknown to Esther. Esther cannot help. Mordecai looks like he's going to be killed, yeah, this is one of the moments in the book we clearly see the hand of God. Who will save Mordecai? We see in the next part that God saves Mordecai. We see Mordecai's honor in chapter 6. And here we see the caring hand of God over his children. Maybe some might call this a coincidence, but in reality, we cannot explain it another way. This is the caring hand of the Lord, protecting his people behind the scenes. How will Mordecai escape Haman? First, we see from verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6 that the king, he can't sleep. So the king does what we might do when we can't sleep. He does some reading, but he gets somebody to read to him. And he reads about his own reign, this was probably everything good that happened in the king's reign all the good things about his reign and the king is probably lying in bed happily hearing about everything good about himself and then the king's maybe drifting off and then suddenly he hears about Mordecai about him rescuing the king from the assassination planned by Bigthan and Teresh and then the reader will have kept on reading But Xerxes suddenly gets up fully, and he says, what honor was Mordecai given? And the reader tells Xerxes, nothing has been done. This is amazing timing. There's someone coming to have Mordecai put to death, and the king suddenly, out of nowhere, finds out that Mordecai deserves recognition. And the king knows he needs to re- reward Mordecai quickly. Behind the scenes, the Lord God is working for the good of Mordecai. The Lord has stepped in where nobody else could help. And the Lord will stop the plans of Haman. Esther chapter 6 reminds us that the heart of man plans, plans their way, but the Lord establishes their steps. It's a reminder that the Lord works all things according to the purpose of his will. Esther chapter 6 helps us fight our worries with faith in the steadfast Father, the one who watches over our our every move. The words of Jesus come to mind from Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient the day is... For sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We often fear the future, don't we? And different circumstances that might occur. We naturally want to know what will happen. And we naturally want to be in control of those situations, don't we? But the truth is we can't. But we shouldn't fear because, the one, because we know the one who is in control and he's our father. Father. He's the one who is more reliable and wiser than us all. Esther chapter 6 helps us remember who is in control and who is watching our every circumstance. And it reminds us to look to the hills and remember that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In this passage, Esther is unaware of Mordecai's danger, yet the Lord reaches out through King Xerxes. And we see the way this passage goes, it becomes laughable at Haman's expense. We see that the king, although he knows Mordecai must be rewarded, again we see he needs somebody to tell him what to do. The king never seems to be able to make a decision on his own, so who will help the king decide? We see that Haman's in the court already. Early in the morning, he's probably been setting up this pole to kill Mordecai all night, and he's there to ask the king if he can kill Mordecai. But first, the king, he asks Haman a question, what shall be done for the man the king delights to honor? And Haman, just like earlier on, he thinks about himself. He thinks, who must the king want to honor other than me? We see right into the heart of Haman here in verse 6. Who would the king want to honor other than me? Haman thinks about himself and himself alone. And then what Haman says next is ridiculous. He, He wants the king's robe. The king's horse, and then to be led with them on the horse through the streets. And then, he, and, and then have him proclaim, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And this request of Haman is most likely him calling to be made the king's equal. Haman is full of himself, and his ego has made him a fool out of himself because the king is asking. Haman, what should be done for Mordecai? Mordecai, the one Haman is seeking to destroy. The whole reason Haman is in the court, the king's court, is to destroy Mordecai. But now, verse 10, the king tells Haman to go out and do this for Mordecai. He tells Haman to honor Mordecai throughout the streets. This is another reversal. Mordecai receives the honor that Haman thought he was going to receive. And notice what happens after this. Mordecai, he goes back to his work. He goes back to the king's gate. But Haman Haman goes home embarrassed, sulking, because he's not got his own way. He goes home in grief. In chapter 4, the Jews, they were in grief and mourning. But now Haman, he feels that grief. The tables have turned. And this is just the start of Haman's grief. He gets home and his advisors and his wife tell him, because of Mordecai's Jewish origin, you can't stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. And here they speak of more than what they know. The language they use is literally the seed of the Jews, which is is a title with a promise in it. Mordecai is in the line of... Abraham with the covenant promises and although these people don't fully know they see there can be no victory against the Jews the covenant seed Haman hears that he's going to come to ruin and then suddenly he's taken to the banquet of Esther what will happen next God has saved and honored Mordecai but there's still a law written that the Jews will be destroyed and this can't be overturned while Haman is living. What happens next is Haman's downfall. We see that in chapter seven, Haman's downfall. We see Haman comes to ruin at the banquet. While Haman has planned to kill Mordecai, and then, and then Haman has, and then Haman has had to honour Mordecai. There's still a pending request from Esther. She's still not asked the king her petition. And the king goes ahead a third time and he says to Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And then Esther finally tells the king, my petition is grant me my life and my request is spare my people. And then we see in verse four, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated you can just imagine now Haman spilling his wine down himself after hearing all this Haman would be in total shock he had no idea that Esther was Jewish Esther adds, if we were sold as slaves I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king Esther appeals to the king's self-interests and the king replies here in verse five. He replies he replies a little bit like a father if he when he hears that his daughter has a boyfriend. You see verse five oh, I've lost it. If you see verse five, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. But here we see the king is angry. And he favors Esther to protect her and her people. And Esther replies, it's this vile Haman. He's the one who has done this. And now Haman, he can't believe it. His day has gone from bad to to worse. His downfall is happening. And then the king gets up and he goes out into the palace garden. And we may wonder why. Why does the king go out into the palace garden? The king is wondering what to do next. The king has given Esther a significant promise, but what she wants is to overturn the royal decree given to Haman. The king is publicly bound to both Esther and Haman. He's stuck. How can he solve this problem? But while he's going out but while this is going on in the king's mind, Haman falls onto Esther, begging for mercy. And what we, don't, what we know here is that this is against a Persian law. Haman would know this. The law was that a man was forbidden from being left alone with a member of the king's harem, and not even allowed within seven steps of the king's concubines in the king's presence. Haman knew this, but he's so distraught at his incoming doom, he begs for mercy. And then the king comes in and he receives a way out of his situation. He realizes Haman has given him a way out. Now the king can dispatch Haman, save the queen and reverse the edict smoothly. And then we see in verse nine, Harbona knows Haman's fate. And suddenly he remembers that Haman has set up a pole outside his house. And he tells the king and the king says impale him on it and now we reach Haman's end he's put to death on the pole that he set up for Mordecai this is a major reversal Haman receives what he plans for Mordecai Haman swaps places with Mordecai he dies in his place but look at the last part of this of chapter 7 then the king's fury subsided With Haman's death, the demands of the law are satisfied. The Jews now can be saved. As long as Haman lived, there was no way for the king to meet Esther's wish without the king being humiliated. As long as Haman lived, the death sentence remained on the Jews. But here as Haman dies, he satisfies the king's anger. This is a picture of propitiation. Propitiation means the satisfaction of wrath by the means of sacrifice. The death of Haman propitiated the wrath of the king. This is the very heart of the gospel. Jesus stood with his people even though they had a sentence of death. Because of our sin and alienation from God, we were all heading for death. Because God hates sin and he must punish sin, God's wrath, his anger was on us. But Jesus, he went in our place, he died and satisfied the anger God had over our sin. Jesus died in our place, he took the judgment, the wrath of God that we deserved. But in our passage tonight, we see Haman, the enemy, the bad guy. He received the king's anger and Mordecai was saved. But in the gospel, the enemies are us. We're the enemies and we're the ones who are saved. Jesus, the innocent one, is killed in our place. We, the enemy, are brought near through the sacrifice of Jesus. First John 4 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The amazing news of the gospel is that God sent Christ to deal with our sin. The wrath of God was coming towards us, yet Jesus stepped in front of it and took it for us. Let me, let me finish. We can go into this new year with this thought. God is watching over our life because Jesus stood in our place and took God's wrath. In this passage, we saw that God's hand is over us. Mordecai, he had no time to worry about his situation, yet God was kindly protecting him. We know from this passage that God is watching over his people and protecting them so we can trust in him. And we saw as Haman swapped places with Mordecai, another swap happened at the cross where Jesus swapped places with sinful people like us, and if we trust in him, we are saved. All God's wrath is gone on Jesus. Tonight, if we are in Christ, God favours us forever. Let's stand and proclaim this truth together by singing Man of Sorrows. This Jesus the first and the last whose spirit should guide us safe home will praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come Amen